Welcome to Fintech Founders, the podcast where we sit down and speak with the entrepreneurs changing the financial industry. In each episode, you'll learn about a founder, the company they built, and their vision for the future. My name's Nicholas Beliveau, your host for the show and the head of marketing at Fintech Cadence. Fintech Cadence is a community builder that's developing Canada's fintech leaders of tomorrow. To learn more about what we do, visit fintechcadence.com. Hello and welcome to today's episode. Today I have the pleasure of having founder and CEO of Concilium Crypto, Mr. Austin Hubble. How's it going, Austin? Doing great. Thanks a lot for having me, Nick. Well, thanks for being here. Um, so I think today we're in for a, a real treat because we've chatted a bit before the show um, and we, we got to know each other. You're actually the first to be speaking about crypto on the FinTech Founders podcast. So this is a really exciting episode uh, personally and I think for, for the audience listening as well. Um, could we kick it off by you just running through a bit about what you do at Concilium? Concilium with one L, right? <laughs> yes, you got it. Uh, so Concilium is a big data company, but we really, we had a little bit of a winding path like most startups. We started just less than three years ago, and our initial goal was actually to be a quantitative hedge fund. So this is a hedge fund that leverages math and programming and kind of scale of technology to trade in the financial markets. And so it's less about the fundamentals and less about kind of studying companies in depth and using economic principles and much more about uh, machine learning, time series forecasting, and just treating these things as numbers as opposed to companies. Uh, so it was a very interesting road. We, we started out to do that. We put together a group of engineers and quants to build that technology. And in that process, we were looking for open source software, partners, anything we could use to get to, to trading a little bit faster. And that's when we realized that this whole infrastructure layer, this whole technology layer for crypto trading didn't really exist at the time. And so we, we made the decision to pivot away from the goal of asset management and to actually work with other asset managers, work with hedge funds, work with exchanges, and help provide them the technology they need to interact with these markets. Right. So today, how do you do that per se? Concretely, what is your, your bread and butter? So the base of the, the company is really data aggregation, so bringing in clean information from exchanges, trading venues, blockchains, news outlets from all across the globe, and bringing it in to our system in a way that it can be easily used and analyzed. So right. that's because that's you were saying in the conversation right now, like uh, Bitcoin, the, the, the nomenclature of it could be BTC on one platform, and then it could just be BT on another. And from exchange to exchange, there's no real set yeah nomenclature but i'm sure other data that's also varies from place to place you're you're absolutely right so if you were to pull this information in in its raw form from these different exchanges it would be very difficult to uh, compare on day one when it comes in so the nomenclature is one thing all the ticker symbols there's no globally recognized standard for these things so that's a big issue and secondly when trades are being reported or transactions are being reported uh, a lot of these exchanges will report it in a base, base currency, some will report it in the quote currency, and it's, it's just a huge mess. If you're a, a data scientist looking to really study these things in a quantitative way, you're going to spend a lot of time cleaning that data and doing the manual work to, to figure this all out, and that's what we've already taken care of for our clients, and 
that's the clean normalized data that all of our products are built on top of. All right. So you guys are the, the cleaning crew for the, <laughs> the <laughs> yeah. crypto space. But you then you it. don't only do that. You also have other features to be able to use leverage AI to be able to then understand that data, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So our, our initial kind of step one to get this company off the ground was to get clean data. You need clean that's data. That's a good start. That's, uh, that, that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, like all algorithms, garbage in, garbage out. Right. So we need to make sure that what we're feeding these tools is actually good information, that it's it's clean data, and it's usable. So we had to take care of that entire mess, which took a long time and a lot of manual work to do that. But now that that's complete, we're much more focused on building trading tools and analysis tools on top of that. So adding more value into our products and making sure that the people who use them are not just receiving a raw uh, data stream or a file or something like that. It's, it's a, lot more, um, a lot more valuable for them and a lot easier to use. Right. And can we speak about who are these people who, who then use your, your services, your product per se? Because you said you, you address, uh, you wanted to build your own hedge fund and now you're addressing other hedge funds. Um, but are there really a lot who are dealing in the crypto space today? Not nearly as many as there are in traditional capital markets, of course. Still early days for crypto, but we did see a big influx of kind of former Wall Street individuals who left their jobs and went to start crypto hedge funds. And essentially, they, they had the regulatory part, they had the, the capital, but they didn't have the support or infrastructure that they're used to. So in, in their old jobs, they would have a full back office team. They would have Bloomberg Terminal. They would have all their different analysts. And it just didn't exist for crypto. So we really wanted to be there and kind of help these traditional capital markets, hedge funds people, hedge fund guys, and help them come into crypto in a way that they can feel confident in how they're placing their trades and get the information they need to manage risk properly. Right. And then what's the whole business model behind this? So we have a couple of different pricing schemes that we work with, but essentially we want to be able to share in the value that these tools create. So as opposed to pricing them with a, a flat fee per month, we want to be able to price it where we're going to give you a ton of value and we're going to take a small piece of that for ourselves. And that's being priced on a case-by-case -case basis right now, but so far our clients are pretty happy. Right, and because you're able to save your clients money, essentially. Could you explain like that the... the I guess the functioning behind that, because I had a, a hard time understanding that you could, it, well, it's for large transactions. That's why you're not dealing with consumers. You're dealing with almost enterprise level transactions. Absolutely. Yeah. So we, we saw this big issue where liquidity is very fragmented in crypto. And when I say liquidity, I mean the concentration of buyers and sellers. So whereas you have a handful, say three or three to five major exchanges in the world for equities, there are dozens and dozens of exchanges out there for digital assets, which means a lot of the, the Asian markets will be concentrated in a handful of exchanges. Some of the European markets will be over here, North American over here. And in order for them to interact, there's a ton of friction. And so if I wanted to go and buy or sell a million dollars worth of Bitcoin or some other digital asset, um, it makes sense to have some kind of automation there to be able to tap into all these different pools of liquidity as opposed to just trying to find one that can do a decent job. You tap into all of them, use a little bit of AI and optimization for that, and you can get a much better price on your trade. Okay, neat. And today, so there's actually a, a this is such a ubiquitous, um, for me, it's very difficult to grasp the, the crypto space personally, just because on a personal level, 
there's no need today for me to detain crypto other than right if, if i'm going to invest in it it's so volatile um unless it's stable coin and i want to be able to have it in a you know frictionless way and the, the biggest value would be to be able to send it on international markets um immediately but then the big value comes in then for financial institutions where they're able to then s s exchange value uh right away it's all tracked you don't need these big trucks in the street to be able to empty atms at the end of the day and to then <laughs> transfer you know f armed guards to uh um, the other bank but h how did you get to this point um may maybe explain where, where you are at now like what's the size of your team um you did the holt accelerator uh could you share a bit about the 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 milestones you've achieved in the last uh, couple of months or even years Absolutely. Yeah. So we're, we're going to be up to 10 people pretty soon, which is very exciting. It's an exciting stage in a, a startup's life when you start to grow. And uh, I think around 10 people is when you, you really have to put your mind into management and you start seeing uh, some more interesting problems that may not have uh, occurred in the past with a smaller team. So that, that's great. We're really excited about that. And in terms of the growth and the, the life of the company, we, we actually ended up doing two different accelerators at the same time. So we did the Creative Destruction Lab, the blockchain AI program in Toronto, and then we also did the Holt Accelerator here in Montreal. And uh, we were crazy enough to actually do both of them simultaneously. How was that? Very, very interesting. So they each tap into different networks of investors. There was a f little bit of overlap between them, but they're incredibly complementary programs. Um, I think we got a ton of value out of both of them, and we were, we were very clear up front with them. We said, we'd like to do both. If we're accepted, we would like to do both of them at the same time. And essentially they said, if you can hit your milestones for both of them, then go ahead, but just make sure it's not interfering. So we went for it. It worked out really well and we're, we're happy to be here. Okay. Congrats. But you also have past entrepreneurial experience. Did you ever, did, did you know, uh, I don't know, 10 years ago that you're going to be working the crypto space? The crypto space wasn't even a thing, <laughs> but could you, could you tell us a bit about your, 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 your background? Um, to bring you where you are today? Sure. So my, my ba personal background is in software development and machine learning. I uh, studied here at Concordia University just across the street. And es essentially about two-thirds or three-quarters of the way through my degree, I started getting involved a little bit at D3 uh, with a couple of other startup projects and just taking online courses, doing some self-learning. Um, I was very involved with a student club here called Space Concordia. So that was pretty entrepreneurial in the sense that you're you're building something new. You know, it wasn't a business to make money, but you're organizing a team, you're trying to get volunteers, you're trying to convince people to either buy in with signing the right piece of paper or potentially giving a little bit of funding. And I think that's where it all started for me. And uh, after that, I ended up going through the MVP program here at D3 with a company called Wishbox, which still exists today. Uh, definitely check them out. A very interesting platform for providing experiences to people as opposed to tangible gifts that you're going to end up throwing out anyway. So definitely check that out. And uh, yeah, it's just been a, a great journey. A lot of support from accelerators, incubators, uh, mentors in both Toronto and Montreal. And it's, it's gone very well so far. For, for Wishbox, were you a co-founder there? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Co-founder and CTO. Okay. So I was the guy who was building out the technology for the platform, all the automation tools to be able to run the business efficiently and, and kind of handed that over to the other co-founders to run the business side, the marketing side. And uh, they've, they've been pretty happy with it so far, and um, as have I. 
did that experience teach you anything moving into now? Because now you're founder and CEO, um, which is more of a daunting role. You're you're all alone, let's say. You, I'm sure you have a great team for support and advisors around you. But did that Wishbox experience um, teach you anything in particular? Any big lessons learned? Absolutely. I, I can't even name all the lessons. It's uh, We did so much. I mean, through customer validation, through designing a product, through testing it in the market, pitching. We were part of the Dobson practicum here. So that whole process of writing a detailed business plan, uh, projections out two, three years, and then being able to pitch that to the right person in the right way. Uh, so I think that was the biggest value from that. And then uh, apart from that, you do learn some of the more administrative side about incorporating a company, setting up bank accounts, um, all the directors meetings and things like that. So it, it was a huge learning experience. And like a lot of things in the startup world, it, it felt like drinking from a fire hose, but in, in a very good way. I've never heard that one before. <laughs> okay. Um, and then what were some of the biggest learnings then starting your own com- like by yourself day one when you're like okay i'm launching consilium crypto um we're, we're, okay what were the biggest hurdles you experienced in this startup finding good people i mean finding your your core team the first two to four people that are going to come on board convincing them that it's worth their their time and opportunity cost to do that um, in the early days you can't really most most startups can't pay people in the very early days. So sure. convincing them that it's it's worth their time to invest in this as opposed to another company, another job, spend, spending time with their family and friends. Uh, so that was, that was difficult, but I was lucky to find a really good core group. And uh, two of them actually became co-founders as well. Okay. So that was an amazing experience. And now we have a, a, an awesome CTO and COO. So it, it's a great little team. Everybody has a a kind of perpendicular function and they're very good at that and I couldn't be more happy with uh, with the team. That's awesome. And you're based out of Toronto, but a lot of your team is here in Montreal. How, do, how does that play out? So initially when starting the company, I had been in Montreal for about five years at the time. And so a lot of my network was based here. And in the early days, you hire the people that you know are good. So I knew some very talented developers. I knew some very talented traders or uh, algorithmic trading guys. And so we started that team in Montreal. Uh, I was living in Toronto. I had just moved out of Montreal and then started Concilium. And it just seemed to make sense to have the business development, fundraising, all of that headquartered in Toronto for, it's just the the financial hub. It makes more sense to be there. Sure. But Montreal has such amazing AI talent and data science talent and top tier universities that it makes a lot more sense to have your engineering team here. So we've we've made that work really well and recruited a lot of great talent in both cities. Okay. And wh- what do you find? H- how does Montreal compare to Toronto? Because uh, since you live there and you, you probably know the, the space really well, um, is Montreal competitive even though the size is six times smaller? Absolutely, for sure. I mean, the things being done here in Montreal from a, a research perspective and entrepreneurial perspective are, are amazing. It's it's a much smaller city, but the concentration of good people, quality of life, um, lower cost of living, all of those things add up. And I, I would say that Montreal and Toronto will be on par very soon if they're not already. Mm. And um, yeah, they're just different cities with different vibes, but sure. Montreal's definitely competitive. And and this might be a trickier question. If you don't have the answer, that's fine. <laughs> but h- how do you think um, we should build more bridges between Montreal and Toronto? Because it's still very 
segmented, right? There's the community there and the community here. Just geographically, it's six hours away by, by car. Um, do you see a, a future where fintech communities throughout Canada will be more interlinked? Absolutely. And I think that's something that uh, Cadence should tackle, or if, I'm sure you're already working on it, but um, I think fintech would be a great first bridge between the two because you have amazing talent here and you have a lot of opportunity for business development and big banks, big FIs over in Toronto. And so I would say that fintech would probably be the low hanging fruit to build that bridge for other areas as well. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's 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 a mission we we're trying to to achieve uh, to to help build the fintech leaders throughout Canada. So um, yeah, it's uh, I was just curious to to hear your thoughts. But then throughout for for fintech in general, and let's start with the in the crypto space particularly. Um, how do you think it's going to evolve over the next five years? Um, now, well, I. I I'm very curious to see how stablecoin plays out. I think that's going to be a really interesting development and in how, um, for example, governments or, or financial institutions will accept uh, the adoption of crypto. Do you have any insights to share about you know, what you think might happen in the space? Absolutely, yeah. And I think on the, the stablecoin part, uh, it's really interesting. I was at a conference in Bermuda in October, I believe. And during that conference, the premier of Bermuda, David Burt, actually made an announcement that Bermuda will be accepting stablecoins, U.S. dollar-backed stablecoins, for government services. So you can now pay for your taxes, you can go buy a permit for something, and you can do that with stablecoin. Wow. Which is incredible. Yeah, so it's already beginning. But do they have the infrastructure to accept that already? <laughs> like uh, when you go to, the, for example, the... Their, their governmental office? Are you able to pay right then and there with a crypto? So I'm not sure what the timeline is, but Bermuda typically moves very quickly. I mean, they're, they're a okay. smaller country. They have the advantage of being very agile when they create new legislation or when they want to do something, typically they can move pretty quickly. So I'm not sure if that's operational today, but given that that announcement was just a few months ago um, and that they're really kind of leading the world with that, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was, was operational today or will be very soon. That's really neat. Well, I know I know in Eastern Europe they already have post offices where you're able to emit cryptos. Um, but that's neat that you're able to pay with, uh, yeah, a, a, especially a stablecoin. Is it only stablecoin? I believe right now it's only U.S. Okay. dollar backed stablecoin. So it's one okay. particular type of stablecoin. But just the fact that it's a, a decentralized blockchain backed asset is mm -hmm. really really amazing. It's a big step forward. And, and we're talking about stablecoin. Could you actually just explain what stablecoin is? Because I'm sure there's some people listening that don't necessarily know or never heard of it. Sure. So a stablecoin is a token or a blockchain based digital asset that is supposed to be tied one to one in value to a fiat currency or a government currency. So for example, you have um, USDC is the name of the ticker. And this particular one, USDC on some exchanges because it probably uh, changes. <laughs> on. <laughs> yeah, I think that one's probably pretty standardized, but uh, you're absolutely right. There's nothing forcing them to actually call it that. Uh, so that that particular one is tied to the U.S. dollar. And there's a, a few different mechanisms that people are trying to use to ensure that it's always one for one. But I think the most popular one is just collateralizing it. So you would take a thousand dollars, a thousand U.S. dollars and lock them up somewhere. And then you'd issue a thousand of these tokens, and any time that you wanted to come with me, come to me, with one of these tokens, I would hand you back one U.S. dollar. 
Right. And as long as there's the proper auditing in place to make sure that I really have that money there and that you're actually able to use and spend that, that stable coin, then it opens up a lot of doors for using traditional money in smart contracts for instant transfers or near in instant transfers around the globe. And it, it opens up a ton of doors while avoiding the big volatility issues of a lot of the other cryptocurrencies. And are you following what the developments are in, in Canada, closer to home here? Absolutely, yeah. There's a company called Stable Corp, um, which was very is very close to 3IQ, one of the the leading or the leading kind of crypto fund in North America. And they're developing a CAD-backed stablecoin. So that'll be the, the first ever Canadian stablecoin. So that's pretty exciting. Okay, that's really neat. Um, any talks that you may know of if the government is going to... Because for, for this stablecoin in particular, the government doesn't need to intervene in any way, right? It's just a, the crypto itself, an independent company that could launch it. So I'm not clear on the, the regulations behind it. I think it would be a lot easier to create a stablecoin than it would be to create a fund. And okay. the, the team behind StableCorp, uh, they've created a fund. So they've done all the, they've done something that in my mind is a lot more difficult to accomplish sure. and they've pulled it off. So I have uh, high hopes for them and I, I think that they're going to do some really great things for the Canadian ecosystem. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure it's a discussion between the AMF, the OSC and all the, the regulatory bodies uh, of all the provinces to be able to to, to launch something across Canada. But uh, no, that's, that's a really exciting future. I think it's... Uh, um, well, it is the future. Um, for your company, what do you see uh, the the growth trajectory? Do you plan on only staying in Canada, or are there, or, or are you already on the international markets? So it, it's a very small industry today. So you have to go to where these companies exist, and you may not need a physical presence there, but you have to be willing to travel on conferences. You have to be willing to take calls at three a.m. if it meets their time zone and their schedule. And uh, we're, we're already selling to international markets. Our, our first client was actually out of New Zealand. Second client was out of Bahamas. And then the, the other clients are out of the U.S. So it's, it, it's out there. And you, you can do this all through Google Hangouts or, or hop on a plane. There's, there's no need to have an office. But I think over time, maybe it'll make sense to, to set something up in the more fintech hubs of the world, maybe Singapore, Seoul, or London. But... Uh, those will be great problems to have. I'm looking forward to that in a few years. And and how was that learning experience? Because I'm sure you have to deal with compliance also in the f the foreign markets. Um, they don't speak, I don't know, your language. Or um, how have you dealt with that a as an entrepreneur, as Austin? What has been that that learning experience like? It's yeah, like I said, like drinking from a fire hose. But <laughs> um, one thing that we were always very careful about was to never give financial advice. So we're, we're never telling you sure. what to buy or sell or when to buy or sell it. And then beyond that, we're not managing any outside money. So I will never take someone else's money and put it in the market on their behalf. Uh, so we've kind of right. angled ourselves as a data company and a research provider, technology provider, as opposed to financial services. Yeah, and you're I, a layer. You never actually touch the, the value. That's exactly yeah. it. So we've been very careful to kind of... Smart. Uh, avoid those regulations because it just wasn't clear and that's not not something that we wanted to risk right right okay cool and why this is going to be one of the final questions but wh why do you do what you do if it is like drinking out of a fire hose what makes you wake up in the morning and say you know what I'm, i want to build out consilium crypto to to be a um a bigger and, and better company 
it's deep. It's philosophical. Wow. Yeah. No kidding. Um, in a couple of sentences, I would say solving hard problems. I mean, these these are really difficult issues that nobody has answers to today. And the fact that I can wake up and work with such an amazing team of intelligent, dedicated, passionate people and just focus on really, really hard problems. That's that's what gets me up in the morning. And I wouldn't wouldn't want it any other way. OK, great. And any last words? Uh, I know you have an announcement to make, but before that, any last words for other fintech entrepreneurs? We just launched our, our Ascension program. So there's 15 new startups trying to make their place in the uh, Canadian fintech ecosystem and the international one as well. Um, any words of wisdom you'd you'd want to share with them? I would say definitely take care of yourself. So don't don't sacrifice your physical or mental health too much for your company. And just remember that it's a, a marathon and not a sprint. So don't burn out. That's the worst thing that can ever happen. And then you're you're no good to anybody. Don't get dehydrated. There's a <laughs> exactly. You got it. Um, and yeah, yeah, you have a, a special announcement. We do, yeah. So in a few weeks' time, uh, we're going to be launching a new product that focuses around liquidity routing. So it's a new algorithm that will help people move anywhere from half a million dollars up to $25 million roughly in trade size and do it a lot more efficiently. So it's a, a very exciting big product launch that's coming up and hopefully you'll you'll see us shouting from the rooftops about it. And we'd, if you have any questions about it or if you have anybody who thinks that they may may get some value from it we'd love the introduction really yeah, I, appreciate can't, it. I can't wait to trade 25 million dollars uh, <laughs> on your platform Austin it's uh, I, I dream of that day but uh, thanks so much for, for coming on the show um, it's, I, I really appreciate your, your time and your advice and uh, I look forward to seeing what uh, other great things you guys accomplish uh, in 2020 likewise thanks a lot for having me Nick cheers. cheers take care thanks for listening